This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. You're hearing from Coal March and Triangle Pest Control's Donnie Shelton and PCO Bookkeepers, PCO M&A Specialist, and Turf Books Dan Gordon, as well as some of the biggest players in the pest control and lawn care industries. We're talking about what is changing in the industry and taking you straight to the front lines of what the future holds. If you're ready to grow your pest control or lawn care business, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PNP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those who are driving those changes. My name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Pest Control and CEO of Comarch, a company that offers digital marketing and sales services for the home services industry, specializing in both pests and lawn. And as always, I have my, I'm not going to call you my partner in crime, my colleague, you're, 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 you're definitely bona fide today, Dan. My colleague, Dan Gordon. Dan, want to say hi? Hello, everyone. Uh, Dan Gordon, PCL Bookkeepers. Uh, Fractional ICFO work for pest control industry, exit planning as well, and uh, that's what we do. And uh, actually, what we really do is this podcast, which is probably the most fun that I have all week. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, I think we have a terrific guest here. Um, we do to do today. We're talking all about how to, how to build successful sales team, and we have a guest that we actually had at CO2 this year. Dan, would you like to introduce our guest? Sure. Uh, Ian Robinson from Massey Services. And I have to say, uh, when I listened to his presentation at CO2, there was so much that resonated with me. I mean, I, I thought it was outstanding. Um, so Ian has been with Massey for quite a while, left for a brief stint and then came back. Um, he's uh, the vice president of business development. Is that right, Ian? That is correct. That's what they tell me, at least. Right. So uh, uh, in his role, uh, it's sales development, customer care, overseeing special units, including uh, multifamily and new construction. Um, prior to joining uh, Massey, Ian had worked for Sears Termite. And uh, for those of you who are old enough to remember that whole thing, that was a pretty neat uh, uh, time in history for the pest control industry. And um, uh, he um um, brings vast experience, a bachelor's degree from University of Florida uh, and uh, an MBA from uh, Rollins College and completed the Harvard Business School uh, OPM for key executives. I, I noticed that a lot of people at Massey uh, go through that Harvard program. Is that uh, pretty standard fare if you're going to get into upper management uh, there, Ian? Well, it's a, it's certainly a perk, without a doubt. I mean, the experience was uh, phenomenal, and it started. Uh, Harvey Massey had gone to uh, Harvard Business for a, a similar program for the owners and executive officers, and then began to send uh, the key staff. So, uh, Gene Nowry, who's our CFO, Tony Massey, Ed Doherty, others had gone, uh, and uh, great experience. Certainly recommended to to others that want to really have an experience that's unlike anything else that you could uh, get uh, in the in the US for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to before we get going on this, I actually have two two stories. The first one is Ian, congratulations. Just so you know, uh, I'm sure you don't know this. 
Um, you were the most popular speaker at CO2 amongst coal marchers. I heard so much feedback about your presentation. They really enjoyed um, your presentation. I just thought that was um, well. Thank you. I want to give you the feedback. It was uh, it was great. And you know, we we've mentioned this before. Um, you know, I think there's a way that you can access if you, especially if you attended CO2. But I thought your presentation was wonderful, and I'm sure we're going to get into that um, later on in the in the program here. I was going to say one, that I didn't want to alienate any of your other speakers, though. But kind well, of. I, hey, what I said, coal marchers. I didn't say everyone. I'm certainly not trying to alienate anyone. But you know what? He did a great job. I thought it was a great. It was a great. Actually, it was the second best because mine was the. Just kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, you've been at it a lot longer than I have, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Actually, second thing, second thing was years ago, I'll never forget, I got this call for this rat and mouse problem. This lady was getting tons and tons of rats and mice in her home, and it turned into an exclusion. And it was an old rock house, and there were holes. I mean, I spent two days out of this house just plugging holes left and right. And I'm like, where did you get this house? She goes, oh, this is an old Sears house. I'm like, really? Apparently Sears used to sell homes as well. So uh, I don't know. And, and I think if you're old enough, you've probably been out there and, and you've seen a couple. But but yeah. So I when you talked about the Sears past and, you know, the, like I just remember working or at least working on that home. And I thought, wow, I didn't you know, you go to the old catalog and like, yep, I'll take that. I <laughs> so. All righty. With that, let's get into let's get into I am here. So I am. Obviously, you have an extensive background in the industry and at Massey Services. You have worked for Mr. Harvey Massey, which is a legend in our industry. Um, can you tell us what it's like to work for him? And obviously, I don't think Harvey's probably not engaged in the day-to-day -day anymore. I'm sure Tony is. But maybe just talk us through what the leadership's like, what it's like to work there. I know Massey has a very strong uh, reputation in the industry. I think it's well-deserved. Uh, as far as for your culture, I know personally when I've been to Massey, I've always been impressed with the ability to execute. I feel like Massey has a wonderful culture of execution. I mean, I, I just look at what they do and when they go in, it's like they go in all the way. And so so with that, I'll kind of lead it off and, and kind of hear what you have to say about that. Sure. Thank you. And and, and I appreciate the accolades from the, uh, the CO2 uh, experience. That was fun for me. And uh, I'm glad that uh, people got something out of it. So that uh, that makes me feel good. So, uh, you, you know, yeah, I've, I've had the fortune of not only working for Harvey Massey as a legend in our industry, but also with Chuck Steinmetz, who had created Sears Termite and Pest uh, and also had done Middleton Termite and Pest. And I also have a legend in the making that I work with, and, and that's Tony Massey, who I've worked for now for the last 14 years as he's been president of the business. And and I'll tell you more on a, on a global standpoint, all three you know, um, of those leaders really brought three things to bear in, in my experience. And, and first of all, just clarity of mission. You know, what is it that we're out there to do in terms of taking care of the customer? The second is passion. Um, you, I, will, I will commit to you faithfully. These are not people that are sitting behind desks and just uh, looking at numbers. They are passionate about what they do and about what they're building, what they have built uh, for themselves and their family and the business. And then the third thing that's that's very clear is that none of them, none of them like to lose. I mean, there is an absolute hatred of losing. And that's a little different than always wanting to win. 
but a, a, a hatred of losing, just absolutely making sure that what they're doing uh, is for the betterment of the customer, the betterment of their, their team members, betterment of the company. It were three things that just absolutely drove um, my experience working with them. And certainly most recently, you know, the last uh, 18, almost 20 years now with Massey Services, I will tell you that uh, working with Harvey Massey and also with Tony, you learn a lot because they get to bring to bear experiences that you didn't get to have yourself. You know, so the ability to, to hear the sayings and the slogans and the mantra and living that every single day, whether it's, you know, the customer is, is first, you know, whether or not it's, hey, if somebody's not satisfied, they deserve their money back and that's how we're going to build our business. Those are some of the the experiences and in, in the um, uh, the way that it is like to to work with them. I mean, every day results matter. You know, and you're out there every day making sure that what you were uh, tasked to do or directed uh, or you have responsibility to drive and create, um, they want results. And as long as you are willing to produce results, then you're going to be in, in great in great position. And that's also true just overall for the culture of our customer focus. You know, here I am. I'm in charge of business development, which obviously a large chunk it deals with sales. And at every session that I train, every time I meet with managers, I remind them, we are a service business that happens to sell. And I'm quite fine with that. And that's incredibly important because I never want to be in a position that I sell something that I can't go ahead and deliver on our mission to be the best in the industry from a service standpoint. So that culture of service first uh, emanates across the board. Uh, we're a family business. So we still, despite our size, and we're closing in on 300 million, despite our size, we still operate like you can reach out, pick up the phone, you can call Tony Massey. You know, Tony Massey just got done going through, uh, and we still have two more weeks of it. I would tell you 40, if not 50 sessions of training to talk with all of our frontline people in order to get in front of them to tell them that's important to continue to have interactions even in this age of, of the pandemic, but also to be able to personally thank them for what they were able to do in 2020 and to have the confidence and faith uh, behind the decisions that we made as a company in terms of protecting everybody's health, protecting everybody's financial health, and then making sure that we took care of our customers as we expected to on a day in day out basis and keep them safe as well. So. Great organization to work with, certainly uh, designed with the customer in mind and uh, very regimented in terms of here's what we're set out to accomplish and here are the ways that we're going to go about getting it done. So I know that we're going to and we're going to get into sales teams here in a moment. Um, you know, I always look at, you know, operation of the, the operations of the business, the sales part of the business. Those are all kind of feeders into a much larger vision. I can only imagine sitting down with Tony and and even Harvey, right? It's just talk me through a little bit about what the vision of Massey is. Like, and I realize this is a little bit offshoot here, but I think it's important, right? Because you know, when I think about like a triangle, for example, we obviously sell, we obviously are work, are servicing accounts, right? But that's not necessarily, you know, it's all about where we're going and what are we building. Um, Talk me through how that works at, at Massey. Like what 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 is the vision and kind of where are you guys going? So, you know, you know, that's interesting, Donnie. So 
the simplest way to to answer that is our vision is to become the best service business in the industry and we never have established a geographical goal in terms of we're going to be national or international we've never established a financial goal uh, in terms of this is the end game uh, what we do know is that business can't stay oops sorry about that um, business can't stay uh, constant because you're always in a state of change so you've always got to be able to grow because if you're not growing you're dying you know that's that's a that's a truism and so we know that we've got to grow we know that we want our team members to continue to be able to be financially secure for themselves and their family to be able to work beyond just the paycheck that's one of the reasons why we've got a very rich uh, benefits package that deals with 401k and and, and, and other uh, tuition reimbursement and health care that we pick up 80 percent. Um, you know, the things that are important to people being able to live a good life. Um, and obviously, from a customer standpoint, we never want to lose a customer, right? That That's everybody's goal to have 100 percent retention. But our goal is to deliver on a world class level. And to know that we've got a satisfaction that says, hey, if you're not satisfied, we're going to work hard to get you satisfied. But if we can't, you're, you deserve your money back. If we don't deliver what you expect from us, you shouldn't be on the hook for the for the monetary investment that you made in us. And I think those those visions are, are perpetual. Um, it's not like we walk into the new day, you know, like a like a baby, like, OK, clean slate. You know, what's today going to bring to us? But to tell you that we've got this master plan of, you know, we're going to go into these markets and we're going to go into these service types and we're going to grow to this level and we're going to have this geographical footprint. Just that isn't who we are. We remain incredibly flexible and nimble for a size company that we are because we know that at the core of it, we want to make sure every customer is taken care of. We want to make sure our team members are making a good living. We want to make sure that we're delivering on becoming the best service industry or the best service business in our industry. So you said something interesting about um, that you have a, a hatred of losing versus passion for winning. No, that this is important because some people are motivated by not losing. Some people are motivated by winning. So what, what, what's the difference there? And I'm sure that you have some folks who do have a passion for winning. But what's the uh, what's the difference there? That That's kind of interesting. What motivates people? So so in the simplest way, you know, you know, you know, you know, winning is everything, right? But the problem is, is that it doesn't set a consequence when you don't win. So the hatred of losing actually sets that 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 uh, that basement. It says, look, losing is not acceptable, and that is a different form of motivation uh, that drives. It's not a fear, and, and, and there's a difference between hatred and fear, right? And it's no different with this. You know, the hatred of losing really says there's a consequence uh, about losing. You know, so if I go and give my best game, you know, people say, I gave my best coach. I did. I did everything I could. And, well, sometimes your best isn't good enough. And so the passion for winning goes ahead and accommodates that. Oh, you gave your best, but you still didn't win. That's OK. No, it's not OK. The, the hatred of losing says fix your problem, elevate your game. To what you need it to be in order to win and that's the difference it really is are you reactive or are you proactive that's really what it comes down to 
Excellent. Good. So let's switch over to sales now. Um, obviously, you have uh, a lot of background in building sales teams. And, and you know, some of our listeners, obviously, the majority of our listeners don't don't run and operate a three hundred million dollar company. It is very impressive, and there's no doubt about it. But I want to take it down to, let's just say, I'm a company. I'm less than say three million. What do you think is the top mistake people make when recruiting and hiring salespeople? Because I can tell you from my own experience, I feel like salespeople is like herding cats, man. I mean, there are times that I, you know, I love them. I'm, my best sales guy, I'll never forget this. There were days that I literally was going to office to fire him. And there's days I just wanted to like, I did well, I wanted to hug him, right? I mean, it just, you know, so talk us through that a little bit. What, you know, what would you say is the top mistake when recruiting and hiring salespeople? So it's interesting. The top mistake that people make, regardless of size, right? Because 300 million is nothing more than the fact that I've got 165 locations over, you know, the southeastern, southwestern United States. So you look at it at an individual at an individual service center level, anyways, which is your, you know, your three million, uh, two to three million dollar size. The mistake right. is always the same, and the mistake is they only recruit when they need somebody. Ah, uh, yes. You know, so you're recruiting out of desperation as opposed to recruiting out of opportunity. Now, I believe, you know, in the in in the goodness of all people, right? You know, I'm I'm on that pro side of of you know people are going to do good things and and uh, and you should trust people and all that kind of stuff. And and people are uh, a human asset, right? And you don't want to change them out and you don't want to always replace. You know, I I get all that. But you've got to be looking for the next best opportunity to help grow your business. And recruiting isn't any different than sales. The only difference is instead of selling a customer that's going to take a pest or a lawn or a termite or an irrigation service from you, you're looking to sell somebody to come on board with you to grow your business. Your, your biggest, probably uh, most important app. So why only recruit because of a need? You recruit because of the opportunity and you find a way to take that talent and either upgrade what you've got. If you've allowed yourself to to get into that that realm of mediocrity or you figure a way of how do I pay for this additional talent that's going to bring me additional growth or success in my business. So the so, biggest so mistake Tony, is that they don't recruit except when they need. You, you know, and that's to me, I remember early on when. And by the way, I've had a different, I mean, I've, I've definitely changed my perspective on this. But early on, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't afford this salesperson. And then and what if I thought, well, the risk of this person looks great. They look like, you know, they sound like to be a great salesperson. Um, do I take the risk on this person and swap out someone else? And like, just like you said, I don't I don't like that. I don't. And, then, and so I was always kind of gun shy. So what would you say to folks who. Let's just say they got a salesperson, they do okay, they're doing all right. They don't necessarily need someone now. And they look at this and they say, yeah, I should be recruiting. And then they run up on someone who they like. Now what? Well, now, now you make sure that you don't allow your gut to make the decision for you. And uh, <laughs> because, because it's interesting, you know, you said, you said a couple of things that was interesting, right? You know, the guy looks good. I feel that he would be good. And, you know, if there's a second mistake from recruiting, 
you know, which is the, your first mistake being you you don't consistently look for opportunity. The second mistake is is that we don't hire people based upon evidence. We base upon our gut. Now, let me be clear. I know there's lots of people out there who, well, I, my gut is always right. And really what their gut is, is an undocumented systematic approach to hiring somebody. That's fine. <laughs> but there are some people that, that look at somebody and go, oh, he looks like a million dollar salesperson, right? He sounds mm -hmm. like a million dollar salesperson. But they don't do the effort. They don't have the discipline to go through and say, let me, let me talk about evidence-based hiring to make sure that if I'm going to change out um, a, an okay salesperson, that I am actually changing that person for somebody that's going to produce a better result. So, uh, you know, what do you do when you got somebody and you're not quite sure? You, you, you interview, right? And I don't mean just interview and, and have, you know, how you doing today? Sell me this paperclip. But really going through and determining what's their history, what have been their experiences, how do those experiences tie to what you know you need in the role that you're looking to upgrade or that you're considering upgrading or considering to add, and then make sure that those two things mesh. That helps take some of At the end of the day, people still need to be managed. And if they don't need to be managed, then they're probably a business owner because that's, mm -hmm. what, it, that's what somebody who doesn't need to be managed does. They own their own business and they self-initiate everything that needs to be done. They may get help from a coach, you know, or, or a counselor, but for all intents and purposes, that's that's what a self-initiated guy is going to do. He's going to go out and take the role for which he's managing himself. He's in charge of himself. So let's uh, switch gears on that for a second. You said something really interesting at CO2, and it's still in my mind because we live it every day, is that you hire people or you have people who uh, you expect to think and that they 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 in your opinion, make the wrong decisions or do the wrong thing. And what you had mentioned was they do know how to think. They just don't know how to think the way you want them to think. And right. I thought that, that was the biggest takeaway. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so you're talking about the judgment filter. Um, and so just briefly, the, the whole concept is that people are going to make decisions and make the best decisions based upon their frame of reference. And it's interesting, I was doing a, a review, an annual review this morning and talking about decision-making and reminded this individual that the decision-making needs to be holistic. It needs to be global for the organization as a whole, even though their responsibility is a subset. So what you need to help people understand is what are you wanting that decision to be? What is your focus, your goal, your vision, your mandates relative to how something is going to be handled. So again, you go back to culture at Massey, customers number one. So from a decision-making standpoint, regardless of whether I'm the technician, I'm the service manager, the general manager, the region manager, or Tony Massey or Ed Doherty, whomever it is, if they can answer the question that the decision I made kept the customer number one at the forefront of whatever the impact is going to be, then my judgment filters aligned. But if I can't go ahead and make a decision that keeps that customer number one, my judgment, even though it might have been correct, isn't aligned with what I want the organization to be moving forward with. So it's about being able to set those um, mandates about what's important and 
how to prioritize one over the other so that the decisions, the judgments that are being made are aligned throughout your entire organization. Yeah, just it, 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 it just so resonates the, uh, you know, why can't you think? Well, you, you've thought and, uh, you know, if you put the, uh, uh, the vision right out there in front, then hopefully you'll make the right decision. And if you don't, maybe you're not the right person. That's that's uh, right. And, and also remember, things evolve, right? Uh, a two million dollar business, you know, owned by Johnny is not the same world at three million dollars or at four million dollars. And so we've got to remember as leadership to refresh, reframe and reinforce what it is that's critically important for us so that people's decisions don't become outdated. Well, you know, I made the same decision two years ago when we were doing X. Yeah, but since then we're doing Y and Z and you're not thinking about those things. Well, it's our job to help people evolve right alongside of our business. So, so when, let's, I was going to say, so one thing here that I have seen is almost, and I've seen this at a lot of companies and I'm guilty of it early on. I think we've gotten this figured out now, but you know, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You have companies who Let's just say they do a decent job of recruiting, they do a decent job in hiring, but their culture and their onboarding is just off, right? And so I have seen really good people. I've seen this in the military. I, you know, I spent obviously 20 plus years in the military, and I've seen it in my own company. You put the right person in the wrong environment, and then they become just like everyone else, especially if you're trying to lead a big change. And so let's talk about setting the right tone. Let's just say you you find this person, you make a decision, I'm gonna make the investment here, I'm going to hire the salesperson. How do you onboard them to set the tone right up front? Like this is this is who we are, this is what we do. And I and again, not to I'm not I really am impressed with you know Massey's ability to execute. And and I think on the sales side, I think you guys do very, very well. And so let's let's talk through that a little bit because I think that isn't a that's it's just as important in my mind as recruiting um, is is starting them off with the right perspective. So I am sure. So you know it starts with a job description, quite honestly. Let's let's walk through what it is that you're about to sign up for or that what you just went ahead and signed up for in terms of the role and really being able to define what that role is so that they know what's expected of them. And at the same time, with that micro look, right, that, that look at that individual and that individual's role, it's also then connecting how it fits in to the company as a whole and being able to make sure that we're spending the energy and the time talking through the mission statement, talking through our guiding philosophies. What is it that we hold above all else in the way that we're going to choose to conduct our business and how we're gonna conduct our interactions with each other and with our customers and making sure that we then can go back and validate that not only have we taught it, but that they've learned it, right? Because those are two different things about that whole training environment. I can deliver a bunch of information, but if I don't ensure that you've internalized it and you've digested it and you know how to apply it, then all I've done is I've spent time, but I really haven't allowed you to learn what's necessary. So that's that's really where that driver on aligning the cultural importance of the business along with the individual's role in fulfilling that 
goal comes into play. So you talked about something called uh, blended learning. Um, and can you expand on that blended learning for salespeople in the pest control industry? Sure. So blended learning is nothing more than different avenues, different ways, different approaches for somebody to learn. So some of it could be auditory, you know, they're listening to tapes in the car or, you know, or listen to me, tapes, right? That, that you know, listening to CDs. Or, or, <laughs> on their Walkman. They're listening um, to their eight track. <laughs> yeah, I got their Walkman from like Galaxy and the Guardians, right? Um, <laughs> so they're, they're listening to things. They have the ability to see things. And then, of course, they have the ability to experience things. So blended learning for sales is exactly that. So it may start off with, okay, let's read through certain things. You know, maybe it's a framework of a presentation. Maybe it's the eight steps of a sales proposal. You know, here are the steps. Let's, let's read through it so that you've got a, a familiarity with it. Okay, now let's go ahead and, and let's listen and watch, you know, others role play or video or some other mechanism of an exchange and interaction, right? A podcast, if you will, of learning. And then thirdly is let's role play. Let's personally get engaged and say, okay, Johnny, you know, let's talk about how you're going to sell pest prevention. And here's the situation and here's a mock graph and, you know, walk me through the eight steps of the sales program. So from a sales standpoint, it is getting familiar with the material, the product knowledge, if you will. It's being able to see it, you know, to watch watch it being done in order to see the best things about it, to see the things that you don't like about it, and to see the things that you are missing. And then third is to go and do it yourself. And again, the more role playing, the more um, experiences and repetition that a salesperson can have, the better they're going to have confidence, conviction, and commitment to being able to deliver on what it is that the company is trying to achieve in delivering service and, and solving needs of consumers and customers alike. Yeah, so it's it's basically you see it, you hear it, then you go do it, essentially. Repeat, right? Rinse yeah. and repeat. Yeah. Just can, yeah. continue to rinse and repeat, and then you you follow that up with management and leadership spending time in their environment, spending time in that salesperson's environment going with them. And, and we see this every once in a while, right? You know, in comes the, the, uh, the local salesperson. Oh, I've got my boss with me today. He's, he's spending time with me. Well, that's right. part of that overall um, repetitive reinforcement that you've got to have in, in, in not, not only sales, but also service and, and administration as well, in order to be able to pick up on, you know, I watched you deliver three or four different proposals today. Here are the things that I liked. Here are the things that I think are off base. And then here are the things that are missing. And too often, you know, when we talk about this blended learning and, and the doing part of the blended learning piece, too often is there's not enough feedback. You know, there's not about feedback about what was good to reinforce that. There's not enough feedback about, hey, this, this isn't quite, you're using the wrong word. You know, you're using the word chemical versus material. Right. You're using the word contract versus agreement, the nomenclature that makes a difference between how you put that customer at ease. And then third is we rarely talk uh, or we forget to talk about what was missing. You know, you did a great job on these things. Here's a couple of things to improve on. And then we forget to talk about what was missing. You know, you miss the opportunity to do X. 
you know, you did the inspection, you spent the time in the attic, you saw that the that the um, insulation was, you know, sparse, and yet you didn't go ahead and convey that to the customer, whether you sell um, a tap or anything else, right? You didn't talk about something else that you observed that provides value back to the consumer, whether you're selling the service or not. So those so, are things that are part of that blend. This is this is really important, and, and and this is actually a question for our listeners. And and the question is simply this: When is a technician or a salesperson trained? The answer to that question: Never. That's the answer. Never. <laughs> and let me tell you why I believe that. I and I will say this: At Triangle, this is years ago. Again, I don't. I think everyone on the podcast knows I don't sit in the CEO seat anymore. But back when I did. You know, one of the things I would I found out was that we did exactly what you just talked about, Ian. We did kind of this. We did kind of the written part. You know, you had to pass the exams. We had like this online program, and folks would get their basic training. This is what it looks like to. This is what a monolithic slab is. This is how you. This is how our customer service experience should look. Yada yada yada. Right. So they get through all of that, and now I know at least from a knowledge perspective, they understand and know what they should do. Then they would get out in the field and we would go through a whole checklist there. And that was good, too. You would still, even after all of that, you still have about a six month window where a salesperson, a new technician, whatever, they were still calling their lead quite a bit. But where I really did a ton of training was on these monthly inspections. You know, I'd have a guy been out in the field a year and a half, two years. I'd do an inspection. And I'd watch him walk around the house. And I'd watch him run our procedures. And, and, and just like what you just said, Ian, it's like I would learn an awful lot just because not necessarily bad habits would come up. It would just be, you know, there was always something more we could be doing. There could always be some, a better way um, that we. So, so my point is, is that training, I don't ever want anyone to think that you're trained and then you're good. Learning never ends. Right. Training never stops. Like and if you think that, yeah, I mean, if you think you've got it, that's that's the kind of the beginning of the end. And not to run off on a monologue here, but I just I think it's critical. Yeah, here, here's a so we 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 talk to owners all the time, and you know, how do you know that that sales guy's good? Oh, he's a great talker. He can talk to anybody. But is there accountability? How do you hold that guy accountable? Many times, what we find is that guy who's a great talker is just that a great talker, maybe not a great salesperson, <laughs> not a good producer. <laughs> Right. So <laughs> results matter. Yeah. Results matter. Numbers don't what, have feelings. What, what what areas do you specifically hold your salespeople accountable? Like what is a, you know, if, if, if is it how they dress, how they look, how they perform, how they sell? What what are the things that uh, can get somebody fired versus somebody, you know, just a, a pat on the back and say, "Hey, maybe you should do this." Well, the, the answer to the first question is all the above, right? So if you can't get the look right, you can't get the act right. And, you know, the industry as a whole, and, and certainly Massey as, as, in, as a leader in the industry, you know, our image is critically important. You know, we've come a long way as an industry in the way that we look and the way that we're perceived. And we need to continue to be moving forward with that and have a very low, if no tolerance for, um, companies that are willing to pull us backwards in, in the image and the way that the public eye looks at us as providers of an essential service. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, how our people look is important and we've got grooming standards and we've got 
uh, a, a set attire that they're to wear. And, you know, somebody comes into work in the morning and they're not up to par, they'll head back home and shave, right? They'll head back home and get on the, the right colored pants and the right, you know, uniform shirt so that they are carrying forth the image. And and Donnie can speak to the, the, the marketing impact of the fact that you want that look and feel to, to permeate as many different touch points as humanly possible from what you put on TV or on air and digital, you know, what they see when they're driving down the road and they see your vehicle. So image is important. And so you want to get the image right. You've got to have a full day. I mean, we expect our people to be productive. And so we have standards and metrics and expectations on, you know, how many people you should see each day. And we know what those numbers are based upon their own personal performance. So some people may only have to see three people a day, three new people a day to go out, propose, find need, be able to provide solutions. And they walk away and they're right on target for their their budget for what they wanted to achieve in order to have the lifestyle that they want in terms of their compensation. We've got certain expectations about the ultimate result. And the ultimate result is based upon the number of people that you saw, how many people chose to allow Massey Services to provide service to them. And we've got a great, not only training program, but a great performance assistance program that allows us to meet with them every single day for both accountability and development, but also to be able to look at their performance over a period of time and be able to sit down with them and say, Johnny, you know, here's where you're strong and here's where you're not really getting the most out of your effort or you're not getting the most period because um, you're not putting in the effort. And here's what we're going to do a little differently in order to get you up to where you need to be so that you can be successful. Most salespeople in the pest industry are on commission. So they are part of you eat what you kill. And, um, you know, so it's important for us to make sure that they are hunting uh, appropriately and effectively in order to find need, be able to provide a solution and be able to bring somebody across the, the finish line to be able to allow us to provide service and for them then to earn the living that they want to earn. You know, the part that I think, you know, whenever you hear this word accountability, I just think that creates a flood of negative thoughts for most people. But, you know, accountability really, and, and by the way, I need to get better at this because accountability is also a great thing. And I think like for me and all, as an owner, I suck at accountability, not in the sense if someone's doing poorly, I don't point that out because the numbers do that very, very well. It's when someone's killing it. You know what? You're responsible for that. Great job. Right. It's it's two sides of accountability. And, and sometimes I feel like I should. And again, I love talking about my feelings. You know, let's, maybe we should turn this into like a therapy type podcast. We could just share <laughs> we our do feelings. That on the next one we could. Have yeah. That. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's true. Right. I mean, I am very good. If someone's kind of out of line, like, hey, hey, well, you got to pull this back in. But probably not as good. And it is absolutely account accountability when someone's killing it. Like, you know what? You're killing it right now. You're doing great, right? And just making sure that you balance because accountability at the end of the day is being responsible. And if you're out there and you're killing it, hey, you're responsible for that too. And that's part of the accountability equation as well. And so I think that's an excellent point, Ian. Excellent, excellent point. So last thing before we wrap up here, um, obviously in your role, you're doing a lot more than sales. You're in business development. That means a lot of different things. In this case, it's, you know, I'm sure that you've overseen, I know you've overseen a lot of acquisitions. 
what tips or advice can you offer pest management, um, you know, PMPs who are preparing their business for sale? Um, anything that they need to pay special attention to, things to avoid, just kind of in general, your perspective, what you've seen that works really well, things that you've seen that not work so well, and some maybe some things that they can do and focus on some things they should avoid. So, um, you know, that's an interesting question, right? So um, I think the best way I would answer that is this. First of all, in terms of preparation, understand your business. So remember, not all owners are actively engaged in their business. The ones that are actively engaged in their business probably have a good handle on the vast majority. But owners that have stepped a bit away, they've got a great general manager in place, a great operations manager in place, they don't necessarily engage in the business all day, every day, they need to get re-engaged in their business in terms of understanding it. Because ultimately, who's ever looking to acquire and, and to, you know, in our case, you know, take over the legacy of the business that they built, we, we want to understand it. Right. We want to be able to understand how the business runs and the owners got to be in a position either to know those answers or to said, OK, well, I've I've included my general manager as part of this conversation so that we can get the answers. It becomes difficult when you ask questions and owners don't know the answer to that. And that starts to kind of cause you know little yellow flags to get raised. Um, and those those owners may may be some of Dan's best um, candidates, you know, to get an outside resource to come in and help them frame up their business and be able to categorize and compartmentalize the information that most companies are going to want to know. They're going to want to know about, you know, the customers. They want to know about the stickiness, the longevity of those customers. They want to know about the the staff that's there in terms of durability of that team. But interesting today, you know, buyers, um, they come in all shapes and sizes, right? I mean, some are going into a market for which they have no infrastructure and so they need everybody to remain. Some are going into markets where they really want the customer base and not the, 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 the employees. So the ownership needs to kind of decide what's critically important for them. You know, what is it beyond just the price point of the business that matters to them and really make that decision so that they've got clarity when they're choosing potential suitors. What is it that I want to make sure happens the day after, you know, my business closes? And a real quick example is, you know, we've uh, we've met with people, you know, that are planning on staying in the community. And so our comment to them is we want to make sure that when you're out to dinner, you know, a week after you sell or a month after you sell, that people are coming up to you to congratulate you on the sale of your business because the company's done a great job. That's far better than sitting down to dinner and somebody coming up and saying, hey, Johnny, I hope you made out like a bandit because what they've done to your business is just an insult. So and, uh, that, 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 that's an interesting point. So so obviously, you know, we're pretty involved in, 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 in doing these uh, types of transactions. And, and, and we as, uh, you know, financial and, and, and exit advisors obviously focus on the quantitative the, you know, the, the, the adjusted EBITDA, the, the growth, the uh, recurring versus non-recurring. How about the intangibles? How important is company culture? How important are, uh, you know, uh, 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 training procedures that are in place? How, what, what are some of the intangibles that you look for? Because, 
at the end of the day, a lot of owners will tell you that they look for a lot of that, but a lot of owners at the end of the day, money talks and, you know, uh, everything else walks. Yeah. Lots, right? yeah. So, so uh, you know, how do you, how do you get through that? Because we've actually had companies that we've sold that they didn't take the highest bid. What, how, how does that uh, play into it? What do you, what do you think? Well, so let me let me talk about from a seller standpoint, right? So I'm a business owner. I'm looking to sell my business. You know what's important to me, right? What are the ideals that I built my business on uh, that's important to me to see in who's ever going to take over my legacy? And that could be uh, I want my people to be taken care of, right? I want them to still have a job. You know, the the morning after that's important to me. Um, I want to know that since I'm still going to live in the community, that all my long-term customers are going to continue to receive the same, if not better, or more expansive service opportunities and being taken care of. Um, I want to know that the company that's coming in has got a, a history of retaining their customers, retaining their team members, um, has a good image in the marketplace. Um, you know, maybe it's important to me that, you know, it's American made, you know, maybe it's important to me that it's another operator as opposed to an invest, an investor per se. Um, so from a, from a seller's standpoint, you just got to kind of take a look inside and say, what's important to me. And then Dan, to your point, how much am I willing to give up in order to make that happen? Right. You know, am I willing to give up 10% of the, of what I could get? in order to know that my people are being taken care of. Now, from a, from a buyer standpoint, the intangibles for me, and when I look at a business in terms of valuation, the intangibles, um, and you know, I guess it's kind of a, a mix of semi-tangible, you know, what's the infrastructure? You know, do you have team members that have been there for duration? You know, that they've, they've shown durability. That means they've, found a way to make a good living. They enjoy what they do. They do a good job because obviously we're looking at the business. You know, that's one of those intangibles. What does the customer base look like in terms of its durability? Are you able to keep customers three, four, five, six, seven years, or is your, do you have a high churn? You know, to me, those kind of speak to the underlying culture of the organization and whatever that underlying culture is of the organization as a buyer, I know that I'm looking to keep that intact. I'm not looking to buy a business just for the customer base and not worry about anything else. That company, the, the one that I'm looking to take over, you know, was smart enough to build a business that I'm interested in. I wanna make sure that we're able to take the best of that industry or that business and infuse it back into Massey Services. That's how we get better as an organization. So those are some of the intangibles, both from a from a perspective of a seller that I think is important for a seller to consider and also from a buyer standpoint. Do you have uh, like a target amount of um, acquisitions in terms of number and or dollar gross revenue that you want to do this year, next year, the year after? Or is it just, hey, if there's um, if there's uh, uh, something good out there. Um, we'll go after it. If not, um, you know, move on. No, we do have a target. Uh, we do set up what we believe we need to look to add from an acquired standpoint. Uh, one, to be able to go into markets that we can't organically grow into. And, and also, again, 
to be able to bring on the diversity of people that we look to bring on. I mean, for us, acquisition isn't about customer base. For us, it's about talent growth. It's about being able to bring on other perspectives, other ways of doing business um, for us to be able to grow. And I'll give you a quick, quick example. Um, we bought a company down in the uh, Hilton Head area that had exposure to us a number of years back and had come to learn to do bed bug work through us. And you know that was many, many years ago and ultimately took what we provided to them, uh, implemented it and ultimately outgrew it, made it even better. So here we were an opportunity to buy a business that we had a, a small connection with and be able to take a brand new approach to the bed bug world and bring it into our business and to expand that way. And, and that's, you know, that's part of what we look to do. Excellent. That, that, I was going to say, I wish we had more time. We're going to have to end. I, this has been awesome and such a great point on acquisition to grab talent. I just think that we could spend a whole podcast talking about that. Um, but, but excellent, uh, excellent point and, and definitely a different perspective, but I think it's a great one. Uh, I want to just thank you. This has been Awesome and wonderful. Thank you for for coming on and talking about sales and talking about Massey. I've very much enjoyed listening to your story and kind of how you guys do things at Massey. One of the things I always ask um, our guests is if if a listener wants to reach out and ask questions, are, are they welcome to do that with you? And I mean, I'm I'm not asking to leave your email address or phone number on the podcast here. I'm just saying is obviously they could look you up on LinkedIn or something like that. Would you be open to that? Absolutely. Awesome. Excellent. All righty. Well, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please remember to rate and review us on Apple. And with that, uh, Dan, it's time for us to sign off again. Ian, thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. And until next time, we will see you again on the PMP Industry, uh, Industry Insider. Talk to you soon.